Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, man. Good morning, good morning. Well, listen, it is a grand privilege for me to be here with you this morning. I'm super excited um, at what God is doing here. Listen, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that the reason I'm standing here, I'm Pastor Brian, one of the pastors on staff here at Cornerstone. Very excited, um, and I, I'm just, just still in awe of what God's doing in the life of my, myself, my family, and bringing us here. A, a little over a year ago, in June, I was actually invited here to a stake and study with Pastor Matt. Uh, I was serving at a Calvary Chapel, a sister church, uh, as Cornerstone is affiliated uh, and, and connected in a network of Calvary chapels. Um, I was serving in my church, preaching, teaching, uh, standing in for my pastor there at the time, uh, he was out with COVID, so I was like in the pulpit for like a month. Matt told me he got online and was like, hey, listen, I'd like to see what some of the local you know, churches, Calvary chapels that we're connected with in the area are doing. And so he was on YouTube looking at one of our live stream services, saw me preaching, and then sort of started clicking through our church's uh, YouTube site, noticed that I was preaching several, you know, several Sundays. So he looked and clicked and clicked all of them. He said, listen, man, uh, and he called the church and said, I- I'm trying to get in touch with this guy, Brian Shannon. He said, is he a pastor on staff there? And, you know, was kind of inquiring about me. And he, he eventually got my number and said, hey, man, I, you know, I saw you online. I said, how in the world did you find me? <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's one of those, those crazy things that happen and you know it's the Lord, right? And so God works. And so he invited me. He said, I want you, I want you to come out to a stake and study. So I'm, I was here at a stake and study. And lo and behold, a year later, I'm here on staff. And so God was doing something wonderful. Amen. Um, so I'm super excited. Uh, I told Matt a few weeks ago, I said, the Lord woke me up five o'clock one Saturday morning and gave me a message. I said, um, uh, you know, so we coordinated for the stake and study. And I said, I got a message for the men. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about this topic of that there is a war on manhood. How many of you know that? Listen, if you, uh, amen. There's a war on manhood. If you have your ears and eyes open to what's going on in our culture at all. They're attacking men, trying to tear down what manhood is and what a man is in general. If you have any level of discernment, you know that. So this morning, I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, that, that issue of warfare against men, and I'm going to challenge you, are you built for it? You got to be built for this war. And the Bible equips us for how we need to do warfare. And this is not just a warfare just on men, it's spiritual warfare. That's what, that's what this falls under, spiritual warfare. And so this morning as we have the conversation, I'm going to uh, do something that our wives tell us not to do. I'm going to make the conversation about us. <laughs> right, right, right. And then when you leave here, I don't want you to take that spirit back home. <laughs> When you leave here, I want you to go ahead and pretend like the conversation is about her again. (laughs) So, but this morning, it's about men, and I'm going to challenge us, and I want to encourage us. So there is a war on manhood, so let's, I'm going to come from this text. I'm not going to give a big exposition on this particular text, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to read that text. I'm going to pray, and uh, I see Pastor Matt's passing out Bibles. There's the men's passing out Bibles. If you need one, just raise your hand. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul the Apostle tells us about what spiritual warfare and where the battle is, where the battle is situated, all right? So, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not physical, they're not natural, but they are mighty through God, mighty in God for pulling down strongholds 
Stronghold, that's a military term, forts, fortresses. There are walls and fortresses that are built up in our culture to block God's message. How many of you know that? Casting down arguments, what Paul says, arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and having and being ready, some translations said having inner readiness, but being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, we thank you this morning. <clears throat> God, we recognize right here, right now, in the, in the midst of these men, that God, this warfare that we fight, number one, it's not our battle, but we're here as, uh, as soldiers in your war, God. And we want to take our position. But Lord, we know that we must be equipped with your word. And we must be filled with the spirit in order to fight it, in order to fight it effectively. And so, Lord, we ask that, God, that you would remove us, God, that you would be preeminent here amongst us. You would speak to us and equip us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So listen, the battleground that we're fighting in this war is the hearts and the minds of individuals. What was Paul saying? Arguments, strongholds, ideas, things that exalt themselves against God's knowledge. Not once did he say, we're going out there fighting like Constantine, trying to cast demons out. And I'm not saying that demon, demonic warfare isn't a real thing, because that's very real too. But our, the, the, for the most part, our purview is not going around chasing demons. It's fighting against ideas that exalt against God. So whether you know it or not, we're in the midst of that warfare. Uh, and as I mentioned, we need to know what those ideas are. We're in the midst of that warfare. We need to know where that battle is and what those ideas are. So let me talk about a few of them. Let me talk about a few of them that's going on. This is not a, a, an exhaustive list of what's going on out there, but here's a few of them. Marxism. Darwinism. Wokeism. All the isms. Feminism. The sexual revolution. Gender ideologies. What do all these things have in common? These are all ideas that perpetuate a hatred for God and the family, founded by atheists. So these are buzz terms that you'll hear. And if you don't know all about Marxism, Darwinism, wokeism, feminism, you've heard those terms. I'll mention it a little bit, but they're atheistic ideas. The enemy of our soul has launched an all-out attack and campaign to destroy the family. The family. He has successfully redefined what marriage is in our culture, which is really a plan to erase it all together. How many of you know that? Once you redefine marriage, it has no meaning at all, and the end game is to erase it all together. If you can call marriage anything you want, there really is no meaning to it. He wants to take control of our children through the Marxist agenda of mass indoctrination. That's what Marxism wants. The doctrine of Marxism says that the state should control what your children know and what you uh, uh, hold as values. The state controls that because the state sets itself up as, as God in that system. The enemy wants to erase the definition of women in order to erase the role of a mother in our culture. Why? Because he, also, and he wants to neutralize men and feminize you. That's what our culture is doing today and erase the role of father so that ultimately there's no one standing in the gap and carrying the banner of truth and righteousness and teaching our children and teaching and leading our families as priests in our home. The end game, amen. 
But listen, the end game here is an attack on God. The means is the destruction of the family, and the key strategy is to neutralize you, men, fathers, because we are the ones carrying the banner. Our adversary, Satan, Lucifer, the deceiver and accuser of the brethren, hates our God, so he wants to destroy the thing that God's love, God loves and, and holds a high esteem. That's mankind. The enemy knew from the beginning that when God planned to raise up a deliverer, a Messiah, and a Savior, he did it through the line of men. So it is at that point that the enemy launched his offensive. In Exodus chapter 1, here's an example of how, how, how that is played out in the scriptures. Exodus chapter 1, after the era of Joseph's administration in Egypt, the new Pharaoh feared that the Israelites would, were growing numerous and they would take over his kingdom and join his enemies and ultimately destroy him. So what did he do? He ordered the death of all male-born children. It's interesting that Pharaoh was interested and concerned with gender identity. <laughs> it, being a male at that time was important because he wanted to destroy them all. Why? Because he knew that God wanted to use the line of men to bring forth Messiah, deliverer, and men who would lead. Amen. Amen. He raised up Moses and what did Moses become? The deliverer of his people, Israel. In the New Testament, as the ground was being laid for the coming of Messiah, wise men from the east sought out the divine king, Jesus, to worship him. King Herod got wind that the king of the Jews was born and fearing that he would be supplanted, he wanted to kill the incarnate king. And the scripture says he became angry when he perceived that the wise men threw him off the trail of where Jesus was. So Herod ordered a gender-specific abortion campaign. And he said, I want to get rid of all male children two years and under. You see, abortion is murder at any stage of the life of a child. Amen. Amen. God has strategically placed men in his order of creation such that if you remove men, let me tell you how important you are. How important we are. Not saying that women aren't important, but we have a specific importance. And that's what we're doing right here today is we're talking about us and we're making it about who? <laughs> only for this hour, only for this, 30, this 25 minutes. <laughs> but if you remove men out of the equation, out of their role, everything else will fall out of alignment like removing the spine out of your back. Paul told young pastor Timothy that the reason why he doesn't allow women to occupy the role of teacher in the church or to exercise authority over men is because, and I love this, he said because Adam was first formed, then Eve. It's almost like God was saying, because I said so. <laughs> Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11 and 7, here's what Paul said, that men are the image and the glory of God. And women are the glory of men. Catch that. We are all made in the image of God, women, men, women, and children. We're made in the image of God in the garden, right? But men, specifically, Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that you are the image and the glory of God, and women are the glory of you. There's a specific purpose for why the enemy wants to destroy you. Some of the modern-day attacks on men were by the way of the feminist movement. I mentioned feminism as one of those issues. Empowering, let me tell you this, empowering and protecting women is, is absolutely a good thing. No other system, no other religious system, no other no faith in the world has elevated the position and role of women in our culture like Jesus Christ did. You can thank Jesus for that. But Satan's goal is to get mankind to respond to real problems with sinful, inordinate overreactions like critical race theory and black lies matter. That's a lie. 
Listen, that whole movement, if, did you know, it was founded on the, on the, on the basis that cops are, dis- are killing black men at disproportionate rates. Did you know that 1,000 men, period, 1,000 people, period, die yearly, annually at the hand of police or violence? And that's not something I'm saying that's a good thing. 1,000 of them. Of that 1,000, 250 of them are black, 500 of them are white, and the other are others. And so you, you base a whole movement on the fact that 1% of the population is affected by police, by police shootings, and you don't even look into the individual cases to see what the context is, but you should simply selectively be outraged about that. Don't you think there's something wrong with that? Selective outrage. So CRT, that's not about addressing real racism. It's about creating racism where it doesn't exist, and its and it supposed anti-racist ideas demonize my white brothers and sisters as you are incurably racist people. That's a demonic doctrine. So too, feminism is not about empowering women, it's about erasing the role of men and perverting the family. That's not of God. Even our nation's current insanity around the conscious effort to erase the definition of a woman and the propagation of transgender ideology is actually an attack on men that I say I was gonna make it about us. It's actually, the attack on women is actually an attack on men. How so? Because the enemy is actually trying to emasculate and feminize men in the process. The most vocal and visible group in our, na- in our national media and the transgender movement are men. You realize that? The, the individuals that they prop up in front of the camera, the individuals that they pop, prop up in news articles are men who want to be women. Why? Because our enemy knows that it is the man who must leave the home who must lead the church and give our children their identity because he is the image and the glory of God in the order of creation. If you get that, are you picking up what I'm putting down? The enemy sought to destroy Adam by going through Eve first. You see that? He did attack the woman for the purpose of attacking the man. And the Bible says Eve sinned in the garden, but the Bible declares that it was because of Adam's sin that that, that, that man fell in the transgression. Do you get that? So our enemy is playing chess while the rest of the world is playing checkers. He knows what he's doing. Warfare, how many military men out there? Let me make some, make some noise. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Would you agree with me if you were to say, if I were to say a military strategy, I don't care what branch of the military you're in, you need to know your enemy. That's right. Amen. You need to know who your enemy is. You can't do warfare. You can't do battle unless you know the plan. What the scripture says, that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. So if you're going to do this warfare, you need to be informed. What, are the, what is the battleground? How do you need to fight? And we're going to talk about how to be equipped. The true spirit of Marxism and the LGBTQ movement is about destroying the nuclear family. That's what they said when they came out. BLM. They said, we want to dismantle the nuclear family. That means we want to erase men out of it and feminize it. Demonic. Destroying the nuclear family and stripping the family of its God-given role to raise and teach our children according to the word of God. As I mentioned, that's how BLM was started. A group of lesbian women who titled themselves as trained Marxists. This is what they said. Their not-so-subtle agenda was to dismantle the family. Lesbians want to establish women-centered families, while gay men want to carry out the role of women in the family. And the trans movement wants to redefine what a man is, ultimately erasing the idea of what men and marriage are. While mean, meanwhile, God's word declares, 1 Corinthians 11 and 3, it says that God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman. That is the divine order of the home. 
Hollywood seeks to feminize men as much as they can by putting men in dresses and in a gay role in, in, in theaters. You've noticed that? Anybody have seen that? None more so than this black male actor, uh, than the black male actor in Hollywood. One of the most popular is an actor by, and producer by the name of Tyler Perry, who built a Hollywood empire based on his role portraying a vulgar, pseudo-religious black woman named Medea. I don't watch that. It doesn't amuse me. A dude in a dress. It doesn't amuse me. The 2021 remake of the story Cinderella featured a man who wears a dress and called himself the fabulous godmother. Comedian Dave Chappelle told his story of how there were directors of a film that he was in. It was called Blue Streak. And while the film was, was being directed and going on, in the middle of the film, they stopped it and said, you know what? I have a good idea. Why don't we put Dave in a dress? It wasn't even written in the script, but they said, you know what? I think that's a good idea. And Dave Chappelle stood his ground and said, no, sir, I'm not doing it. He went on, he went on Oprah and, and went on several shows and said, I wasn't doing it because they tr- that's what they're trying to do to black men in Hollywood ultimately to continue to destroy an ailing black community. Listen, it's tough, but I have to say it. We need, uh, sadly enough, we need pastors who have the courage of Dave Chappelle. I thank God for Cornerstone. When I came here, I came here because I knew that we stand with a true man of God. I'm not propping him up as a man, but you understand what I'm saying. You, you, you feel a sense that when you find true men of God, you can partner with them and say, listen, I'll stand beside you. I'll follow you as you follow Christ. Amen. I thank God for Pastor Gary Hamrick. The goal is, as I mentioned, to, mask, to emasculate women, uh, men and push femininity, watch this, on everybody except for women. Do you notice that? They push femininity on women and they call it oppressive. Socially constructed gender norms. But if you push femininity on boys, they call it progressive. Talk about backwards. Our world is subverted. God help us. Our world is calling masculinity toxic. We should at all costs call out sexual abuse. Let me say that again. We should at all costs call out sexual abuse, bullying, and misogyny wherever it exists. It's not of God. But the absolute wrong response is to dismantle manhood. In 1965, President Lyndon B. Johnson launched the welfare state under his great society initiatives. The welfare state under his administration was what the late great Walter Williams called the biggest assault on the black community that did more damage than Jim Crow, racism, or slavery could have ever done, and that was to take black fathers out of the home. That's what happened. The welfare state incentivized men to leave the home by allowing the government to replace them with subsidies. If the man was in the home, the government wouldn't cease provi- would, would cease to provide the funds. Couple that with the burgeoning feminist movement and the sexual revolution, which told women to be sexually liberal and that they don't need men. What happened? The father absence in the black community, the father absence rate in the black community went from 25% in the 60s to, to 75% in the 80s. In just a 20-year span, post-slavery and prior to the civil rights, black folks were among the most family conservative people in America. Truth. But what happened? Father absence in the black community is now a staggering 75%, and in some of our major inner cities, uh, major inner cities, that number reaches 80 to 90%. Among whites in America, that number is 30%. It's 30%. That's the number that was in the 60s facing black people. It has grown to 30% for white community today. You think there's a father issue? Yes, there is. And it's not just a color issue. 
50% in Hispanic communities today. It's a problem. Consider this, children growing up without a father are five times more likely to be in poverty, nine times more likely to not graduate from school, and 20 times more likely to go to prison. I would say a father is pretty important. A statistic that's very hard to swallow. In the black community, the highest rate, which has the highest rate of father absence, the black community has it. The homicide rate in the black community is through the roof. 52% of the homicides in our nation are committed by black men. That's not easy to say because I'm a black man. I'm a Christian man first though. Amen. But amen. I'm Christian first. My color, I don't, I don't follow, I don't, I don't, I'm not led by my color. But the reality is that God made me an image bearer who happens to be a man of color. And I have to recognize realities, don't we? 52% of the homicides in our nation are committed by black men, primarily at the peril of other black men. I wrote a book on this. Here's a little shameless plug. <laughs> I wrote a book on this called Missing Pillars. It's coming out in October. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. Blacks make up 13% of the U.S. population. Black men are 5% of the population. Homicide is overwhelmingly committed by men in our society, so that means that 5% of our population commits 52% of its murders, not because black people are inherently or morally predisposed to this kind of sin, but because three out of four cannot find their dads. It's not because of racism. It's not because of historical slavery. It's because of fathers who were state incentivized to leave the home. Are you telling me that there's no agenda? And it's spiritual warfare. We gotta open up our eyes to see. Anybody ever read The Art of War by Sun Tzu? I haven't, but, <laughs> I just gotta be honest, I haven't, but, in The Art of War, I just pulled this quote. Sun Tzu said this, if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you neither know yourself or your enemy, you will succumb in every battle. You better know where the battleground is. It's not just political, but the enemy uses that. It's not just the state, but the enemy uses that. It's not just social issues in the home, but the enemy uses that. Because ultimately, what is he trying to do? destroy the family and destroy you so that there's no one lifting up a banner for righteousness and for Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 14 and 20, I'm coming to an end right here. Brethren, be not children in understanding. And I love what the KJV says. Be not children in understanding, how, how be it? In malice be children, but in your understanding be men. I'll take a page from Ken Graves. I don't know if you know Ken Graves, Pastor Ken Graves, Calvary Chapel pastor up in Maine. He said, be a man. Be a man in your understanding. Let me just tell you this right here. Let me bring the battle a little bit closer in to, to, to your own hearts. The enemy wants to destroy men and your role in the home as the image and the glory of God. He wants to use one of five things. One, one, he wants to use your pride. He wants you to care about you and your selfish pursuits. He doesn't even want you to understand that there's a war going on at all. He just wants you to be caring about, he wants you to care about you. He wants, you, he wants to just neutralize you through passivity. He wants you to be unconcerned and do nothing. 
He wants to neutralize you through isolation. He wants you to retreat to yourself and be given over to your own ways. He wants you to go on little retreats and go on little hunting trips. And I'm not talking against those things. Understand me. But he wants you to retreat to those things that satisfy our our immediate carnal need because we're escaping through it most of the time. We're escaping. The scripture says in the last days, men will be lover of pleasures more than lovers of God. That just simply means not necessarily lovers of sin, but lovers of the things that bring us pleasure. There's nothing wrong with them in moderation to go on a boating trip, to go fishing. But if that's what you're planning and if that's what your energy is and you're not down on your knees praying for your family and you're not in the word of God seeking out God's way, then you are failing. You're failing. That's what we got to do. He wants to to neutralize you through your lust. He wants you to live for your desires of your own flesh, unconcerned with the things of God. And he ultimately doesn't want you to know your identity. He doesn't want you to know that you're a man made in the image of God and you are the image and the glory of God and you are to lead your homes and lead by example in our society. So how do we fight? We've got to fight with the 2,000 year old battle plan that we were given. The scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, says this. Put on the whole armor of God. Put it on. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the darkness of of this world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore... Because this is the case, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and the day of evil has come, you may be able to stand your ground. Listen, men, if you don't take anything away from what I said today, I want you to know, take this with you, stand your ground. When it comes to the truth, stand your ground. When it comes to leading your home, stand your ground. When it comes to being a spiritual leader and a priest of your home, stand your ground. When it comes to raising your children in the, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, stand your ground. Stand your ground. After you've done everything to stand, stand anyway. That's what it said. After you've done everything you can to stand and it seems like things are still going awry, keep standing. Stay right there. I don't care what it looks like around you. I don't care if your wife follows every single time. I don't care if your children are acting the fool. Stand. You stand right there. I don't care if everybody on your job is going left. Stand. I don't care if everybody in your family is going left. Stand. Stand your ground. Here's how you do it. Stand firm. It says with the belt of truth. Get in the word of God, fellas. With the belt of truth around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness, pursue your personal holiness. Sanctify yourself before God. Get before God and, and, and dedicate your hearts in, your, in the purity of your, of your life before God. With the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, keep the gospel on your lips. In addition, take up the shield of faith. And then it says, so that you can extinguish the, the flaming arrows of the evil one and put on the helmet of salvation. You listen, the helmet of salvation. I, I thought about it like this the, uh, you, You're saved if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you repented of sin and you follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior You're saved you have salvation But sometimes if you're not walking strong in God, you can sometimes lose the assurance of your salvation Sometimes you can get shaky in the assurance of your come on. Am I talking to somebody here? Okay 
We all know we're saved if we believe Jesus, but sometimes your assurance gets a little shaky. Get in the word of God and you get in prayer. God, I know who I am. I know that I've been saved by grace. I'm going to walk in it. Take on that helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Get in the word of God. And now not only is it equipping you, but you better use it when it comes to those arguments and high things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Listen, I'm, 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 I'm done. Here's what I'm going to say. I was done a, a couple times ago, wasn't I? Because we got to get you out of here. 930, that's what we're supposed to say. That's what we're going to stick to. So I'm ending with this and we're going to pray. <laughs> Listen. I love J.R. Tolkien's works. I watched The Hobbit and, and, and looked, uh, I read The Hobbit as, a, you know, my mother read it to me as a kid and I, you know, followed the storyline and the, the, the lore of the middle, middle earth. I love it. And so I watched The Hobbit movies and uh, the, the, the theatrical version, and I don't know if it's how true it is to the writing because it's been a little while since I read that and seen that, but um, in The Hobbit storyline, the dwarves, right? There was a dwarf, the king dwarf, his name was Thorin Oakenshield. And one of the older dwarves' name was Balin. And in, in the story, they tell, they tell a story about how the dwarves went to war against the armies of the orcs. And the king of the dwarves at that time, he was beheaded in battle. And the dwarves were losing. They were losing bad. They were losing men, dwarves left and right. And it seemed like it was bleak. And Balin was telling the story about how, he said, listen, their king was gone. And so what were they going to do? They didn't have a king to follow. And all of a sudden, when all hope was lost, Thorin Oakenshield had no sword. He lost his weapon, but he picked up a tree branch and put it on his arm and started standing his ground, fighting against the orc who it seemed like he was going to kill him. And he overtook the orc. He dispatched the orc, chopped off his arm. And the other orcs fled in terror when they saw that their leader was down. And all of a sudden, there was a rally cry from, from Thorin Oakenshield that we can win this battle. Follow me. And Balin said at that moment, he looked up. At the end of the war, when the battle was over, and there were, there were minimal amount of dwarves left, they lost everything, but they, they won the battle. He said he looked up and he saw Thorn, and he said, I knew at that moment that there was one that I could follow. I knew at that moment that there was one that I could call king. And I looked at that and I said, Jesus is my king and I'm going to follow. But the world around you, your family, and the church is looking for men that say, I want to see one that I could follow as they follow Christ. And that has to be you. Stand your ground, men. Follow Christ for the sake of our families. Amen. God desires to raise up godly men who reflect his image and do battle against the ideas of this evil world, but while, all the while remaining unstained from it. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you this morning. Thank you for your word that you spoke to us. God, we can talk all day and we can get rowdy and, and we can talk strength, but God, if you don't supply it to us, we can't do it. God, God give us the, the strength. God, you, you, the Zechariah the prophet spoke. He says, God, it's not by power, not by might, but by your spirit, says the Lord. God, that we can do anything. Holy Spirit, guide us, lead us, fill us. Fill us afresh, renew our hearts that we can go home and stand in the midst of our families and lead and pray and lead our families and worship and prayer and word and the study of your word and go back to our, our various job uh, uh, contexts and stand in the midst of that, Lord. I know it's tough for some of our men because they're facing sometimes some situations facing, do I need to leave here? Am I going to be fired? Am I going to be because of my stand? And Lord, I pray that God that you give them the grace to stand their ground. 
And Lord, whatever come, come what may, Lord God, that you be with them and let them know, Lord, I am with you. When you take your stand for me, Jesus said, the world will hate you because they hated me first. But just know I am with you. I am with you. And so, Lord, we don't have to fear. God, we thank you and praise you. Be with us on our various destinations. Cover us as we go home and depart from this place, but not from your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.